You have a different point of view. Fine. That's what freedom of speech is all about. That's what free will is all about. I would love to have a discussion with these people without them getting angry and screaming because they figure if they yell loud enough, they get they, they, they win the argument. Welcome back to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and thank you all for joining the show today. You may recognize our guest today when in 1993, he emerged as a full-fledged international TV superstar when he was cast as the lead of Hercules. The show went on to be watched in 107 different countries, and by season three was the most watched TV show in the world at the time. Our guest today is Kevin Sorbo, and he has been to the upper echelon, the very tip top of the mountain when it comes to Hollywood, when it comes to movies, when it comes to producing, directing, and acting in today's world. But as Kevin continued to climb the ladder in Hollywood, he found some unsettling truths and began to start speaking what he believed was his truth. And in doing so, he was ostracized and blackballed from the community of Hollywood, from the industry that he loved so much. Since then, Kevin has broken off and independently created his own studios called Sorbo Studios, where he continues to act, direct, and produce movies that align with his mission and values. He has also taken a polarizing stance in his views politically and his life ideology and continues to be a figure that is talked about in the news and the media today. Kevin and I discuss his early love for the industry and what led him to acting, creating, and producing. We talk about some of his current viewpoints and his most recent project, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, which features himself, Kevin Sorbo, and Neil McDonough as well. If you want to see or hear more from Kevin, you can find him on his website, www.kevinsorbo.net. And as always, if you haven't followed us yet, go check us out on Instagram at Breathe and Air Podcast, where we keep you up to date with the latest and greatest of the show. Shoot me a DM. Let me know what you thought about the show today. I always love to hear your feedback and how we can craft the show to make sure that it's bringing you value, entertainment, and thought-provoking people and ideas. So thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Breathe and Air Podcast. And without further ado... Welcome, Mr. Kevin Sorbo. That's good to be here. It's good to be here, man. Nice, nice, to, nice to meet you. So I want to kind of start a long time ago when you were nine years old, 4.30 a.m., and you're delivering newspapers in the Minnesota cold. Put us in that state of mind and really what that did for you to help where you are now. You know, it's a true story. My parents, my, my father was an only child. They couldn't have any more kids. His mom couldn't have any more kids. Uh, grew up on a farm in Iowa. So he was denied uh, playing sports because he was a good athlete, but he couldn't do it. He had to be there working the farm all the time. So I'm the fourth of five kids. There's four boys. So we were all active in sports, and my dad was into it. But my dad was always into hard work and have a hard work ethic. And uh, my older brother, who was uh, six years older than me, uh, decided he was done with the paper out. And I took it over at nine. And I did it for six years. I got wow. up at 4.30 in the morning, Monday through Saturday, delivering the Minneapolis Tribune to 80 homes every morning through Minnesota's amazing, wonderful winters of five months of <laughs> 10 below zero. And um, I, I learned about hard work, you know. I mean, I would even, whenever we had big snows, I would run around. I lived in this. There was a... 
there was a circle park. There was a park in the middle, and there were four streets coming off this park, all up into, uh, well, not two, two went to cul-de-sacs, other ones were through streets. But I wouldn't, I would, a snow, I would go out there and Xerox all these, uh, flyers saying, I'll shovel your driveway, shovel your driveway. I mean, I was always busy working hard and, and just, uh, my dad just taught a hard work ethic for all five kids, and it, it paid off for me because, um, when I went to Hollywood, you get your butt kicked out there. You know, it's all about, it's called the city of angels, Los Angeles. It's really a city of broken dreams, but I, I, I stuck with it. I, I, I had, I had a goal. I had a focus. Yeah. But really what sparked your interest to get into acting, to go out to Hollywood? Well, um, Minneapolis, St. Paul, there's more, there's more theater per capita than New York City has. Wow. And they really support the arts there. There's a lot of playhouses, not as big as New York, obviously, but there's just a lot of, you know, venues, but they have a very famous venue called the Guthrie Theater. And the Guthrie Theater is where a lot of plays start before they go to Broadway. Lion King, a perfect example, which I still think 30 years later, it's still showing there. Um, so we went there in fifth grade. We took a field trip to see The Merchant of Venice. And it was Shakespeare. Well, I'm 11 years old. It's Shakespeare. I don't know what the hell they were saying. But I, I knew I, I was mesmerized by what they're doing. And my mom was one of the chaperones on the way home. She said, well, what do you think, honey? And I said, Mom, I'm going to be an actor. And she gave me a little <laughs> pat on the leg. The mom's patting the leg. And she says, that's nice, dear. But uh, the goal was set. The dream was set. And it was always there with me. But I was a jock. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy. And through junior and high school, we always kind of made fun of the people uh, in drama. And here I gave in that click thing, you know, and I shouldn't have. <laughs> but it wasn't until I got into college, I really started pursuing it. A double business major, but I took a minor in drama. And I started doing a lot of commercial work in Minneapolis. A lot of people don't know that Minneapolis has national headquarters, the Best Buy, Target, 3M, Honeywell, Pillsbury, all these different companies, uh, General Mills. So I did a lot of commercials, got that all-important screen actor's guild card, and I loaded up my beat-up old car, and I just went out to California not knowing what was going to happen. Didn't know anybody out there. That's, that's amazing. I, I didn't know that about Minnesota. That's very interesting. You wouldn't think that. That's not the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> but I want to talk... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your travels overseas as well, because it seemed like from what I've heard you talk about is, you know, something that gave you a lot of perspective and also was part of that time of your life where you were shooting a lot of commercials and getting a lot of exposure in the industry. Well, I met, I met, I met a girl um, from my home state who was a big time model. She was 19. I was 22 when we met. Um, she had already been traveling the world since she was 14, you know? And so she said, Hey, just come to Europe with me for three months. And, um, you know, spend the summer in Italy. And I thought, yeah, why not? I think that sounds kind of cool. Well, I go over there. Uh, three months turned into three and a half years. And uh, <laughs> it was a, a very strange sidetrack for me. And I got into that modeling world. But really, the majority of my work, because I was so much bigger than all, all these other models were five, nine, 38 regulars. I'm 6'3". I was a 46 long. You know, so, <laughs> and I didn't fit most of the designer's clothing. But I was the guy that was in great shape and athletic. So I booked all these all these commercials, mostly for the German market, because um, I kind of fit in there, even though I'm Norwegian, you know, uh, they're, they're big people in that country and yeah. lighter colored hair and blue eyes that kind of fit in with the Germans. So I got to shoot commercials all over the place, all over northern. I mean, I shot in Morocco. I shot in Tunisia, uh, Egypt, um, just all, all over Eastern Europe. I mean, it was 
it was really, it was interesting for me. It was fun for me uh, just to sort of hang out and do that stuff. But it got to a point, I said, okay, I'm done. I really want to get to LA now. So um, it was, it made me grow up. I'll tell you for one thing, to really get out there, not know the languages and learn yeah. to get your way around. And I mean, it made me, it, it did help me mature. I lived in Milan. I lived in Paris. I lived in Munich, lived in Zurich, lived in London. I mean, it was, uh, it was a really cool way to say the world, see the world. And I think anybody in their twenties, uh, before they get tied down, I think they should really explore a little bit if they can do it. I mean, I was getting paid while I was over there, so it certainly helped. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's just so important to broaden your perspective that way. It, it makes yeah. you feel, you know, it makes you realize how big the world really is. And a lot of the problems that we think we have on a daily basis seem pretty minute after those perspectives. You know, it's kind of funny because once you start to travel like that, it's like you want to travel more. You want to see more. When I got to L.A., I, my first commercial audition, I booked, I was in LA a week. I booked this commercial, a national TV spot for Perina high pro glow. It was me and a dog running on the beach, me and a golden retriever. We could have shot that in, in Santa Monica. They, they went the the American company, I think they're based in St. Louis or something like that. Yeah. They flew me to Australia, to Sydney, Australia. <laughs> So I shoot this commercial. I remember it was in Whale Beach. Whale Beach is about an hour north of Sydney. It's very famous for their surf. A lot of, I remember being there and they said, Oh, that's so and so. He's the number one surfer in the world. And I went, Really? So it's a big hotspot. And, um, I stayed there for two weeks and I decided to stay longer. And my agent in LA flipped out. They go, You just moved here. And I said, You know what? I've always wanted to come here. I wrote a book report about this country when I was like 12. And so <laughs> I stayed for eight months. I signed with a commercial agent down there. I lived on Bondi Beach. For those who are old enough to remember, in 2000, Sydney had the Olympics. Their, their beach volleyball was right on Bondi Beach. I lived right across the street there in Campbell Parade. And it was, uh, I stayed eight months. I did two plays when I was down there, two theatrical plays. And I did, uh, se- I shot seven commercials. I had, wow. I had a great time. Wow. That's incredible. You've kind of uh, mentioned a couple times where you went without the intention of really staying. Something happened longer. And then it really formed a lot of, you know, the things that have helped you to this day. So do you believe in fate? Do I believe in faith or fate? Fate. Fate? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. I, I mean, you know, everything's an opportunity cost in life. I mean, you leave your building in the morning, your house, your apartment, wherever, and you, um, you, you're walking down the street. And you go left and you could have gone right. You might have met the woman of your dreams if you gone, if you went right, but you went left instead. Every move, every decision we all make every day, there's an opportunity cost and you don't know, you'll never know what that opportunity is. So, yeah. um, it's, it's just, it's, it's weird sometimes how things lead you down uh, a road and, uh, you know, your life changes to, in a negative or a positive way. I mean, I've, I've had good things happen and bad things happen. We all have roadblocks in life. How do you react to those roadblocks? You know, so. Um, it was, um, it, it was interesting because those things weren't even on the radar for me when I was, when I was going through college, didn't even think about doing that. Yeah. It's incredible. I love that sword behind you, by the way. I mean, it's, it's hard to miss. This, this is, uh, <laughs> after seven years on Hercules, this was the, 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 uh, the very last day after seven years when we wrapped, it was a very emotional wrap because that becomes your home. I lived there in New Zealand for seven years, for 10 wow. years. Wow. So that was my family. And after seven years of say goodbye, um, it's emotional. And uh, the props department made this for me. It was never used in an episode. That's really gold up there. And there's an engraving on there. It's got uh, Kevin Sorbo, um, you know, Hercules, a legend. They say that the, um, the, the uh, journey may be over, but the legend lives on. Is what oh, the inscription. Amazing. I love that. Yeah. 
I love that. Speaking of movies and your acting career, you have a new movie coming out. It's the 19th today on the 26th, yep. Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. Tell me a little bit about this movie and what is the big push pilot? What are you most excited about? Well, I mean, it's based off the Left Behind books that sold 80 million copies. And they, um, the, the people out of uh, Toronto, um, Cloud 10, owned the rights of the books for the last 30 plus years. And they started doing years ago back in 2000 with Kirk Cameron doing some of the movies. The most recent one was actually eight years ago already with, um, with, um, um, my mind just went blank. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Thank you. Thank you. I kept wanting to go back to, 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 uh, <laughs> somebody else's name, which I won't mention. Uh, but Nicholas <laughs> Cage played the role that I'm playing now. He played the, uh, Rayford Steele role, who was the pilot in the books. So I took over that role. I'm also, I also directed this movie as well. And, uh, it's six months after the rapture. And the world is still obviously in chaos because people have seen hundreds of millions of people just disappear that were believers in God and God and Jesus have taken them. And so uh, we had a total rewrite on the script because they wanted to bring it into what's been going on in our crazy world right now. Our mm -hmm. woke anti, uh, you know, um, the, the, the culture change, the hate, the divisiveness, the violence, the anger. They wanted to bring that in. We even talk about a pandemic in the movie. We don't mention it, but we talk about it. And we have a government that says wants a one world government, one one currency to cover the world. Everything they're talking about today. And it even is talk about that in the book of Revelation, where there'll be a, there'll be an antichrist. There'll be a politician that will rise up. Doesn't matter what country that person is from, but very charismatic and the people will follow him blindly. And, yeah. uh, this is the beginning of that. And there's people that will deny it. They will. You know, the way people are, people will, well, it wasn't God. Come on. That it had to be aliens that took everybody. I mean, they're, they're going to come up with ever reasons. So the right. violence still spike. You have people like my character that go on a spiritual journey because he says, my wife was a Christian. My son was a Christian. They're gone. I saw my co-pilot while I was flying disappear. I knew he was a Christian. My wife was right. She warned me about this. So he's going on his own journey. And there's about four other stories that are going on. And they all come together at the end of the movie. But this is really a political action thriller is what it is. You don't have to be a Christian to go watch this movie. It is based on the book of Revelations, based on the Left Behind books. But it is a wonderful uh, action movie that will have people talking. You don't like I said. You yeah. can be you can be a lefty, you can be a righty, you can be an atheist, agnostic, you can be a believer, you can be whatever. This movie will get people talking, and it's an amazing, amazing movie. Please go to leftbehindmovie.com. It's leftbehindmovie.com. You'll see the trailer. You'll see throwing your zip code. It shows you what theater. We're in fifteen hundred theaters across the state. So um, fill up the seats. Let's make this thing keep on going for many weeks in theaters. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to check it out. You've kind of seen both sides of uh, the industry, where it be Hollywood and now on the independent side. So high budget films, independent films. What's the biggest difference there outside of the money and the budget that you get for those films? And, you know, do you like one better than the other? What are the pros and cons? Uh, what, doing independent movies? Yeah, versus independent versus like a big budget film. Well, I would love to do a big budget movie, but I got booted out of Hollywood 12 years ago for being a Christian and a conservative. That's like being a double leper in Hollywood. Here's the weird thing. These are, these are the guys that for decades have been screaming for tolerance and freedom of speech. And everything with them was a one-way road. I don't harbor that anger and hatred that they have for somebody that has a different point of view. You have a different point of view, fine. That's what freedom of speech is all about. That's what free will is all about. I would love to have a discussion with these people without them getting angry and screaming because they figure if they yell loud enough, they get, they, they, they win the argument, even though all they have is their talking points. They have, you know, their labels. You're a homophobe. You're a racist. You're the, you're a Nazi. And I'm like going, really? But they have nothing to back it up, of course. 
Right. I love when they call me a homophobe because when I say I'm a Christian, you're a homophobe. I'm going, I've been in business 40 years. I worked with gay people in almost every production I've ever been involved with. You won't find one that says he was so mean to me. He was so evil. You won't find one. But you know, they've been, they've been indoctrinated by the movies and television, mainstream media. Uh, just saying that, you know, they always portray conservatives and, and, and Christians as doofuses and morons and bumbling fools in movies and TV shows. They've always yeah. done that. So people not only get indoctrination over the last 30 years in our public schools and, and universities, it's, it's just this whole bombardment. So they come up with these stupid labels and they have nothing that or no, there's no proof to back it up. It used to be, you know, you were innocent until proven guilty. Now if somebody says anything about anybody, oh, he must have done that. Why? Yeah. Is there proof? Well, no, but she said it. It must be true. Okay. I mean, it's just, we live in such strange times right now. The world has gone insane. And this movie shows the insanity of the world. It was there a certain point for you where you were in Hollywood, you were starting to see this and, and you came to the realization and people started, you know, telling you, Hey, you need to quiet down. You need to stop doing this. Like, or was it just like all of a sudden you're blacklisted? Like, how did that happen? My wife warned me. She warned me. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't posting evil, evil things on the internet. I was just saying, hey, really? You guys believe this? What about that? And you get attacked. And uh, my wife said, they're going to come after you in Hollywood. Sure enough, about, about 10, 11 years ago, my manager and agent called me in. It's like an intervention. Said, we can't work with you anymore. And I said, that's really too bad. You know, I know you guys want tolerance, but it's a one-way street. You have no tolerance of anybody else that, di- that differs in you. But there's so many people in Hollywood that think the way I do, that believe the way I do, but they're afraid to come out. We are the new, cons- we're the new people in the closet. It used to be the gay population. Now it's Christians yeah. and conservatives and people are afraid to come out of the closet. And I said, guys, we got to wake up the lions because the sheep are gone. The mm. sheep are useless. We need to wake up the lions because I get people on the set to come up to me every, every production I do. I get at least one person, if not more quietly during the time we film. Hey, thanks for being a voice for us. And I go, well, be a voice for yourself, man. Well, we don't want to happen to us what happened to you. And I, I did get blacklisted, but you know what? God opened another door. Since yeah. I got, since I've been on my own doing Sorbo Studios, I've shot 60 movies and still wow. counting. I have three new ones coming out, counting this one that are done in the can. They'll be in theaters this year. I've got five I shot last year. And then I've got five I'm booked for already this year. In fact, I'm heading to North Carolina to shoot a movie there. And, and, uh, well, I told you really quick the one in Nashville, but I got a bigger movie I'm shooting in North Carolina next month. So uh, knock on wood, I've stayed busy. Sorbostudios.com is a great place for people to go to keep up to date. we got a lot of great stuff on there, but um, I'm fine with that. Hollywood doesn't owe me anything. I, I, I love the industry. I love being on the set. I love the creative process. I know so many people in the business that want to work with me. So um, we're fine, and we're going to keep doing movies that have hope and love, redemption, laughter, things that Hollywood used to do but won't do anymore. All they do is have their agenda. You know, yeah. it's about pronouns. It's about, you know, cancel culture. It's about wokeism, which is just stupid. And thank God people are getting tired of it because it has been so stupid. And everything Facebook took me down for during COVID, I could say today because all my so-called conspiracy theories have come true. So Facebook should let me come back on right now because <laughs> I know Zuckerberg and his millions and trolls, they're a bunch of little wusses, but that's fine. You know? So <laughs> I don't need them. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Speaking of big media, you have a large following on Twitter and we've seen a lot of things come out that were, you know, quote unquote conspiracy that are now being exposed with Elon taking over and whatnot. You know, has it always been for you where you were very out, like you said what was on your mind and you put it out there? You know, you talked a lot about a lot of people in the closet on their thoughts, their ideas. Was it, was there a point in time with you where you're like, I'm done with this. I'm going to speak 
what's exactly on my mind or were you always kind of just, let's just do this? Pretty much always that way. I, I remember um, one time, my second series after Hercules called Andromeda. It was a Gene Rodberry series we shot for five years. And uh, a couple of people I worked on the show were going, oh, my gosh, he's a conservative. He he hates education. I went, what? <laughs> I, said, I said, the liberals control the education system and look what they've done with it. Talk about control. And then the other one said, and I, you're pro-life. I go, yes, I am. No man can tell me what I can do with my body. So I set up one of the one of one of the people on, on, on the crew one time, and I, I read an article out loud. I said, "Look at this guy in Hawaii. He got seven years for eating a sea turtle egg. He should have got life." She said, and I go, "For eating an egg?" She goes, "Kevin, that egg was going to become a sea turtle." I put it down. I knew I had her, and I said, "So, what was the egg in your stomach going to become?" <laughs> the typical liberal response. She got all angry, mad. She started walking away and turned back. You're wrong. And I go, wow, what a comeback. I can't, I can't possibly debate that wonderful comeback. I do a lot of pro-life speaking. So if you want me to come speak out there, I do a lot of pro-life speaking in Christian education. And um, I make it very fun and entertaining, even though it's a horrible subject. But uh, I point out the obvious because uh, the left seems to love and glorify murder. They absolutely love it. They've killed over 65 million uh humans in the, since the early 70s. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep fighting that fight because that is a human being. There's a heartbeat in 22 days, so whatever. But they'd rather save a tree, save a sea turtle. And, uh, you know, and I love the saving the tree thing because they brought that up one time too. And I brought up an article saying, hey, look at this in North America. There are more trees in North America now than there were two years, uh, 200 years ago. I guess we've done a good job of, of saving the planet so far. So you had joined an organization, speaking of education, um, uh, World Fit for Kids since 1997. And, you know, you had been a big proponent for them. You talked a little bit about today's education system. We're seeing kind of a shift in, you know, the views of the large universities. Are they really worth the, the, the amount of money, the indoctrination? And Not then the what do you think yeah. the solution is there? Uh, get rid of public schools. I think one of the blessings of COVID is that uh, 2 million families woke up and now 2 million more families are homeschooling because mm. uh, they, they realize at that point, how horrible, maybe they knew it and just didn't want to admit to it. But COVID really exposed how crappy our teachers are. And I grew up in that world. I grew up, my father was a teacher in junior high school. The neighbors were teachers. I mean, all of us, we were all in there. But when I was back in school, the math teacher taught math. The physics teacher taught physics. Now they all want to teach critical race theory. They want to change, you know, talk about, oh, you want to change, you feel like you're a boy? You can be a boy if you want to. Um, uh, they talk about, um, you know, how to vote. Don't believe in God. What, whatever happened to that? What is just teaching what you're supposed to teach? And you go to four years of college and get a degree in, in what 17th century French literature. What the hell are you going to do with that? <laughs> yeah, what you, there, there's a, there's a Broadway play called Avenue Q. It's basically Muppets on crack. And the opening song is, what do you do with a BA in English? I mean, you're going to go in and teach English. Fine, but get a real degree if you're going to college. Become a scientist, become an engineer, mm, become, yeah. get a real, get a business degree. It's something that actually is a degree. And to sit there and listen to politicians like Biden say, we're going to set it up so you don't have to pay back your loan. They can say anything they want to get your vote. Right. I'm, I'm going to tell the next Republican and say, Hey, say, tell every under 40 year old guy that you're going to give them free pot for the rest of their lives and get their vote. You don't actually have to do it. Because politicians <laughs> lie all the time. Every election cycle, what do they talk about? The economy, 
uh, education, all these things. It's the same thing over and over again. I'm glad Charles Barkley, who's a friend of mine, came out about six months ago. And for the black community, I'm sorry, the African-American community, by the way, I'm a Norwegian-American. Don't offend me by calling me just an American. But anyway, <laughs> I thought we were all Americans, but they've changed that too. Yeah. But Elise comes out and says, guys, we've been voting for the same group of people for 60 years. What has it gotten us? Poverty is worse. Education is worse. Violence is horrible. Look at Chicago. How does that mayor stay in office? How is it even possible when they have 60, 70, 80 shootings every week? Speaking of which, I have a documentary called Bleeding Blue, which talks about police officers. It's not there to glorify them. Every business, every, everybody has, has bad apples, right? But this, one of the, one of the statistics we pointed out back in 2017 or 2018, there were over 4,000 shootings in Chicago. Over 4,000. How many involved the police officers? Well, 0.8%. So 99.2% of all those shootings were mostly black on black. But Mm. what gets all the press? 0.8% gets all the press from the mainstream media. Mm. Why are we talking about the real problem? That there's broken homes. 80% of blacks in America are raised without a father. But you're you're telling people that fathers aren't important and and families aren't important like that. Mm. We got a problem, guys. We got a big problem. The cycle just keeps going and going and going. You, uh, you had a specific, you know, condition as well that really changed a lot of your life. And you wrote a book about it called true strength. Tell me a little bit about what happened there and how that's really shaped your life post the event. Well, you know, um, I, I was having problems doing most of my stunts on Hercules cause I'm, I'm a jock and my ego says I can do them and I enjoyed doing them. It was fun. My stunt guys were awesome. They made me look like a stud. Uh, but you know, you get your cuts and bumps and bruises and sprains and jammed fingers and knees. I mean, I've got, you know, all kinds of stuff, but I was on problems with my left arm. Couldn't figure what was going on with it. I finished season five. I get back to the States to do promotional work on my first big budget movie called the conqueror. I go see the doctor in LA, my doctor, he finds a lump up here. He didn't tell me the time he thought it was cancer. I go see my chiropractor the next day before they do the biopsy. A voice in my head says, don't let him crack your neck which I thought was weird. Chiropractors do crack necks, but not right. the ones I go to. I've been to this one eight years. He's never cracked my neck because I don't like it cracked. He knows that. The voice, don't let him crack your neck over and over again. He all of a sudden cracks my neck. Well, that was an aneurysm. that was spinning blood clots down on my arm, suffocating the flood, uh, flow of blood in my fingers were also cold and numb. Well, that crack called something neurologists and doctors called um, retrograde flow. It's like salmon going upstream. It was so close. The artery, it was where the aneurysm was. It's where the blood comes out and it goes through the arm here. But that crack forced clots into my brain. I suffered a series of strokes. So um, it took me four months to learn how to walk again, how to balance again. I still have a 10% loss of vision in both eyes. It took me three years to fully recover from it. I mean, it was a hell of a long battle. And that's where the book came from. And that's, um, I didn't want to write the book. My wife sort of forced me to write it. She said that your book can really move people and influence people. And she was completely right. I mean, when the book came out and I started doing book signings, I had 20 year olds that suffered strokes come up to me. I had uh, 80 year olds that had heart attacks. I had 40 year olds that were car crashes. And they said, you know, your book has motivated me to stop feeling sorry for myself. And that opened another door for me. I never thought I'd be doing, which is speaking events. And it started mostly with doctors and nurses and medical facilities and communities. And then people reading the book realized, Oh my gosh, she's a Christian. Would you come and speak to us about, you know, your faith? And then, oh, he's pro-life. Would you come speak to us? So most of my speaking is Christian education and pro-life now. And um, it's been an amazing road that I never thought I'd be going down, but here I am. And it's been, uh, it's been great. Uh, God opened a lot of doors for me because I've always had faith. 
Um, but I never really needed faith until I was hit with this roadblock, you know, and how do you get around these roadblocks? How do you get past it? And too many people want to blame God or blame a God they don't believe in or blame family, friends, the world. And, uh, they just sort of give up. And, uh, this book has been there to motivate people and they can go to sorbostudios.com, sorbostudios.com. My wife's books are there. My books are there. She does a lot of, of, um, homeschool teaching and travels the country doing that. Um, I don't know. We've been very blessed and very busy to keep doing what we've been doing. Amen. I know we have a hard stop here, but one question I love to ask is what is your definition of success? Uh, failure. Mm. Uh, I used to caddy uh, at this private country club when I was in college. Very wealthy people. And I didn't have any, my dad was a school teacher. I'm the fourth of five kids. You know, we didn't have any money. My dad would yell at the four boys, can't you drink more water instead of so much milk? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, I would ask these guys. I was, I'm, a, I'm a good golfer. And even back then, I was like a two handicap. I'm about a five or six now because I don't practice anymore, but I play when I can. And I would ask, how did you become successful? And every single one of these guys over, over, over two summers of catting out there said the same thing. Oh, I failed, Kevin. And then I failed again. And you know what? I failed for another 10 years. And I tell people all the time, I'm a 13 year overnight success. And you can't look at failure as a negative because there's a positive there, but too many people give up. And I guarantee you all these people that are on the internet, these trolls and minions who are probably getting paid by George Soros and collecting unemployment from you and me, our work. Um, these people gave up on life and they're angry and hate who they are. They look in the mirror every day. They don't like what they see. So they want to drag you down and me down right along with them in the black hole they live in. But all their anger does is make their lives worse. It doesn't bother me. I could care less. It doesn't affect my life. You know, so I tell people right now, don't sell any, don't let anyone set your limitations. Don't give up. Keep fighting. You're going to have a lot of failure in your life. That's part of life. It's like God always promised um, nothing in terms of a good life. He didn't promise that you wouldn't have problems in life. You know, that's what free will brings about. Right. So um, just just don't give up. And on top of that, go to leftbehindmovie.com, leftbehindmovie.com and sign up, guys, and check out. Fill out those theaters. You guys will love this movie. Amazing. You beat me to it. Leftbehindmovie.com to go check out Kevin's new movie, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, coming out January 26th. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Happy New Year to everybody, too. God bless. God bless.